Good morning to you all. A lot of rain lately, right? A lot of sunny right now. Um, good to see you all this morning. My name is Rob Pfeiffer. For those of you who don't know me, one of the members of the pastoral team, just want to say good morning to you, especially if you're a first-time guest with us. Oh, so glad you're here, and I'd love to get to know you more. Um, Pastor Paul is away uh, this weekend. Uh, he's been spending time with his, his father up in God's country, as Paul likes to call it, up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, Paul's dad had some recent surgery, and, and Paul's just uh, up there helping him recover. And so, Lord willing, the plan, Pastor Paul will be back uh, on, on this coming Sunday, and I'm sure he'll, he'll update you on how things are going, and uh, look forward to seeing, seeing Pastor Paul soon. I know it's been spring break, and uh, you know we've been, we've been having different things go on. Uh, I'm really happy to, to say that you know some of our college students uh, with uh, the FSU crew ministry, they, they went over to New Orleans this past week, and uh, crew was serving uh, over at Urban Impact with uh, Pastor John Gerhardt, and that's the same ministry that we've gone to a number of years uh, with our high schoolers, and uh, it was really cool to see that. That's carried over into the college arena as well. So they had a, a wonderful time. God did some wonderful things, and, and they're back tired, but uh, they're also here and uh, refreshed, and so really thankful to report that to you all. And so I know that we are, at the same time, you know, today's a, it's a day that uh, is coming off of a supposed break, uh, you know, but I know a lot of us, we're, we're still running at it hard and tired, and so I, I joined that with you today. But I'm thankful that we are able to open the word of God this morning, go to it together, let it speak to us truth, and that is my, my prayer for us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're continuing on in Romans. Uh, we're going to be in uh, verses 18 through 25 this morning. And so I just want to dive right in to the text. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you're willing and able to, to stand and read along with me the text for this morning. We were in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. The Apostle Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is that our hearts, our minds, Father, may the word, may your word, may the truth of your word, may you illuminate it for us this morning that we are impacted in a way that our hearts, that our minds are truly transformed to the truth that we have here from you, that we're able to apply it to our lives, our, search, our situations, and, and be filled with faith, knowing that you are near us now, 
that you're near us in our suffering, that you're near us as we wade through the days of life that can be so hard. But also, Father, impress upon our hearts the truth that glory is coming. And we look to that with hope this morning. And you pray, God, I pray that you open our hearts to this right now. In Christ's name, amen. You all may be seated. So as we, as we dive in, uh, the, the title of the sermon this morning is The Best is Yet to Come. The Best is Yet to Come. In the Pfeiffer household, we every now and then enjoy a good Pixar movie. Uh, I personally prefer the older Pixar movies. Not so much a fan of the newer ones. We can debate that later. Um, one movie in particular that we find ourselves watching every now and again but then reminded of like, you know what, this is, at least for me, this is really my, my favorite one. It's, it's the movie Ratatouille. And if you're not familiar with it, I won't get too much into it, but uh, it's, it basically goes along the storyline about the fact that anyone can cook. Anyone. Even a little rat named Remy. And so the story goes on and the story unfolds and there's one point in the movie, it's, it's kind of the climactic part, and in the restaurant that is part of the story. They are visited by the resident food critic in the town whose name is Anton Ego. What a name. And so he shows up. He, looks, he basically looks like a Count Dracula. They have him all just like dour and very dark looking. And you know everybody's afraid of this guy and what type of review he's going to write. And so the waiter comes out very nervous and says, what would you like for dinner? And Anton Ego says, I've been craving perspective. In fact, uh, I'd like some fresh, clear, well-seasoned perspective. That's what I want. And confused, the waiter walks away and goes back to the kitchen and says, he wants perspective. Let's see what we can do. And so it unfolds, the story goes on. And so I bring this up for us this morning in that I share this same desire this morning. Not as it relates to food, but I need perspective this morning. My desire for us this morning is that from this text, we, we gain perspective. A perspective that's Holy Spirit empowered. A perspective that's grounded in the word and the truth of God. And that indeed we, we are open. We are transformed. We are we are, we are looking at life with a new vision, with a new understanding of what God has for us. And I think this is what we find in this particular section of Romans chapter 8. It's, it's, a, it's a pause. It's a, it's a statement of perspective. It's celebrating the work of God and what he has done in Christ and the fact that in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Talks about life in the spirit. But then Paul in this section here helps us to have some perspective as it relates to these truths. As we start out, the, the theme of the passage, the theme of our sermon this morning, it starts right here in verse 18 where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The bad news comes right out of the gates from Paul. 
And that is this, that suffering is real. Suffering is real. I don't have to convince you of this because I know all of us in here are facing various degrees of suffering even right now that we look in our past, there's been probably many trials. Maybe you're fearful of what is to come. Maybe you're right now, you're, you're, you're at a place where you know what, you know, I'm winning this fight of life right now. I'm, I'm trudging through, I'm, I'm getting through it. But I know the fact is, life has a way of throwing punches that we can't see coming. Even though we're winning the fight, the punch comes and we find ourselves down. And sometimes we're at a place where we're, we're, we're down and we don't even know how we got there, but we know that we're down and, and life is unfolding in such a way that it is hard. It is filled with despair. Suffering is real. In Job 5.7 it says, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job 14.1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Suffering is real. It's not just real, but there are different types of suffering. We can, I'm sure, list them out. We're seeing here that faith in Christ does not exempt us from suffering in life. Even if we back up to verses 16 through 17 that we went through last week, it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The truth is, is that the children of God, children of God are not exempt from suffering. Even Jesus himself. But we also see here that suffering is real, but we see Paul mention in a specific way that it's limited. He, he refers to it in this present time, that there's a limit to it. It's part of this life. But it's not like he's speaking this to us that all of a sudden it just terminates. What he's also telling us is that there's a transforming reality that God is working in our life, that the suffering we are enduring now, he is transforming that into our future glory. There's a transformation of our suffering. Our suffering will lead to future glory, and this is the hope. This is, this is the tension that Paul is holding together with present suffering is that there's future glory to come. And my desire for us this morning is to really think upon this perspective, that whatever we're experiencing now, however, however hard it is, there is something yet to come. The best is yet to come. The future glory is yet to come, and we are to experience this. And Paul makes this statement at the end of verse 18 that even says something more profound. He says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. It's not that Paul is minimizing the suffering. It's not that he is, he is aloof to the realities of suffering. 
It's not to reflect a a casual attitude towards suffering, but I think what Paul is allowing us to see here and what he's desiring us to see here is perspective. You see, in the midst of our suffering, if all we're focusing on is the circumstance, what is taking place, all that is involved, what has happened, what may be happening, that is a hopeless place. And I've been there. I understand that. I think we can all understand that. It's overwhelming if all we see that we're going through is the suffering. But you see, Paul is saying that there is a vision beyond that the believer lives with. That no matter how great the sufferings are presently, glory is coming and that glory is incomparable. Paul is saying that the future glory laid up for us is so weighty that our present sufferings don't even compare. It's like picture a scale, a balanced scale, where you have glory on one side, the weight of glory that is to come. But the present sufferings that we are encountering, that we're experiencing there, but feathers on the other side. There is nothing that can tilt the scale of what is coming and what is promised to us, and that is the future glory with Christ. And Paul is is bringing us to that place. And it brings us to the theme of our sermon. It's this, that the eternal glory makes temporary suffering worth it. Eternal glory makes temporary suffering worth it. The best is yet to come. And we see that Paul moves on in verses 19 through 25 with a a poetic description about how the creation groans in hope, in eternal hope. And that we see this in verses 19 through 22. And then we we see in verses 23 uh, through 25 that not only is the creation groaning, but we too, we are groaning but we are groaning in hope. And that is this tension Paul is giving to us here. He concludes at the end of the passage that there's this extorting, like he's exhorting us to a a description of, of the believer who is hoping in the future. And that as we are hoping in what is to come, we are waiting in perseverance in this hope. There is a perseverance knowing that the weight of glory to come outweighs the presence of what we the present of what we are dealing with now. So the best is yet to come. So creation groaning in hope. What are we to pull from this? Let me read to you verses 19 through 22 again. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And Paul, is what he's doing, he's, he's presenting this, this hope that the creation is looking toward. He presents it in three ways to us. 
We see in, in verse 19, we see first that creation is waiting. And just a reminder, the creation that Paul is referring to, it's, it's a reference to the, sub, the subhuman created world around us. And he's using poetic imagery to personify the created order around us. He's offering this picture that the created world around us is, is with its neck outstretched. It's, it's, it's looking for something. It's looking towards something. There's something of a hope that is coming, and the creation looks for it as it waits. You see, creation is personified looking forward to what is to come because of the finished work of Christ. The what is to come is man fully glorified in Christ. And this is what the picture is, that, that creation is looking toward that day. And it's waiting. I don't have to tell you right now that we can go on, we can Google, we can go to Facebook, we can go to social media, everything you want to go, that we can really get a, a good dose of how to solve the world's problems. There's a lot going on in this world. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of suffering. There's war. There's people dying. And as much as we want to think so, the truth is, is that the world itself, there's, there's nothing, there's no answer the world can provide to fix itself. You see, the only answer is found in Jesus Christ. Even the experts, the smartest people on this planet, they cannot come up with the answer of how to solve the problems of this world. But Paul gives this picture that the creative world does. It's looking. It's looking towards Christ, and it waits. Creation waits but we also see in verses 20 and 21 that creation hopes. And here's the tension again. Paul is holding in tension the, the current creation's futility and the coming liberty. The coming liberty. The world is currently subjected to futility, to emptiness, to meaningless, and to worthlessness. It's failing to accomplish its intended purpose. And the big idea here is that Paul is saying the world is not how it was meant to be. You see, we all know this. The unbeliever knows this. The believer knows this. There is a common desire to see change, for there to be relief. But again, what is the perspective of the believer we know this, but you see, with our minds set on the spirit, we would, we would also say there is a solution. There is something that is coming, and that is Christ. We understand that the world is not how it was meant to be, and we understand that it's not getting any better, and it's not going to get any better until the coming of Jesus Christ, and that is our hope. I recently read an article about the new Batman movie that has come out. I haven't seen it yet. And the title of the article was, 
basically saying that the, the new Batman movie is the darkest movie ever made. The darkest movie ever made. And I'm thinking, like, ooh, okay. Maybe I don't want to see this movie, and let me, like, find out what this is talking about. But what was interesting, it was actually a very fascinating, interesting article. It basically says that the movie itself, yes, it's, it's the darkest movie ever made without light. Almost the entire movie takes place at night. And that the scenes were, were, were purposely made so dark that there was this, this challenge to make sure that we could see the, the, the characters on the screen. And they had to create these cameras that were able to allow that to be seen through the darkness. And that the movie itself, it's, it's, it is the darkest, literal, literally. It's a work of art. It's a, it's a, it's a work of technology. But as I read through this, I, I couldn't help but to just to, to ponder and think about just how true the world we're living in now, it seems like it's the darkest it's ever been. And some of you live that in a daily, daily reality of what you face. Some of us don't face it enough, and we think it's not as bad as it really is. And, but the truth is, the world is not getting any better. And as much as we want to think so, there's, there's nothing we can do, nothing we can do to fix it. And the reason why is because we sinners are the problem. This is what Paul is saying, that the world is subjected to this futility because of God's response to the sin of man. This is God's doing in the sense of the futility that we see around us. And, and what we see here is, is that this is like Paul's statement here. It's, it's a commentary of what we find back in Genesis chapter 3. Verses 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall Eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's the fall. It's the curse that God has pr pronounced upon creation you see, the fall of mankind into sin has had global implications, and we see it all around us. And the futility that God has subjected the world to is not something that we can fix. But as Paul is making this truth, what does he say right next to this? That there is a com there's coming a liberty, a freedom. Yes, everything is not as it should be, but praise God, the believer can say that the best is yet to come. There is still something that God is at work and will reveal, and it is a glory like nothing we have ever seen or experienced. And we see back in verse 2 of chapter 8, you know, Paul uses very similar Language In verse 2 of chapter 8, he, he's referring to the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer, declaring that the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
the Holy Spirit, we have this new residing power, reality, identity, newness. We are no longer subjected to law, no longer subjected to the curse of sin, which is death, but we have life. But we see that Paul is now saying here in verse 21, not only do the children of God have this newness, but what he's saying in verse 21 is that there is something that is still yet to come. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and corruption. That that, that is coming. It is coming in the full glory of Christ. And that we as believers will experience this, but all of creation will be renewed and restored. So creation waits, creation hopes, but we then see that creation groans. It is groaning. This is another poetic description, explanation of the created world around us in chaos. The tragedies, the war, the unrest, all of this, is, it's a groaning. The world is groaning. The creation is growing, but yet we have hope. And he refers at the end of 22, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I heard a preacher refer to this verse and just making the point that I'm glad the pains that Paul is referring to here are birth pains and not death pains. There is something new that is coming in the midst of what we see groaning around us, the world and what its state is. And so we need to remember that the present futility that we experience and we see, it will give way and the corruption will be transformed into the freedom and glory of the children of God who what they will experience a remarkable description that Paul is using here with childbirth. And I'm reminded of one of my, one of my children, their births, and by the way, I asked Shannon if I, could, if I could share this, and she said yes. We have five children, and, and for one of them, the idea was put forth of experiencing the birth without any... Um, uh, pain relief, okay? I won't get into all the different things that are available. And so this was something Shannon wanted to do, and in my mind, I'm thinking, why do we need to do that? But I will support you. And even leading up to the birth, I, we would have conversations, and, and she would say, you talk about, like, pressure. No matter what I say to you, don't let me take don't let me t uh, get pain meds or relief, no matter what I say. And I'm just, all right. No matter what you say, yes. So long story short, the um, labor is progressing. There's pain. And then comes the point where I have, I've, I've been told and asked many times already, like, I, I need something. I'm like, no, 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 
You got it. Remember what we talked about? She's like, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. But finally comes the point, I need something now. And as that is explained to me, the doctor gently says, it's too late for that. Because there is a point where it's just too late. And then the doctor looks at me, or not the doctor, but Shannon looks at me, why didn't you tell me sooner? <laughs> so I'm just sitting there. And in my mind, what I want to say is like, no, 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 no. We got this. You got this. Don't, we don't need to worry about that. Look, to get rid of this pain, you need to have the baby. Like, just get it out. Like, this is what we got to do. And you can do it. We can do it. Coach Rob, full-on Enneagram 7, he's right. We got this. Don't worry about the pain. We got this. That's what I'm thinking I'm going to say. But what I say is like, huh? <laughs> What's that? Total guy move on my part. I, I didn't catch what you said. But thankfully at that point, labor kicked in. The pain was back. And in the midst of me apologizing to the doctor of all the things Shannon is yelling at him and like, she's not really like that, the baby is born. And then comes my part to cut the cord and watch everything that's going on. And, and then there's just that, that moment of, of just calm. And I hear Shannon's voice. How does he look? I want to hold him. And sure enough, She's holding our new son. And all the pain, all the groaning, all of what was taking place, all the chaos has ceased because there's now new life. And you see, Paul is using this description, this descriptor of childbirth to remind us that something is to come. The groaning, the pain, it's all giving way to new life. So even as creation groans and it's groaning in the pains of childbirth and we are experiencing this, we have the promise here that the best is yet to come. Amen. So not only does creation groan, but then Paul shifts in the fact that we too groan. Believers in Christ, Christians, we too live groaning. And we see this Worked out in verses 23 through 25. And again, we see this tension between present suffering and, and future glory. In verse 23, Paul says that the Christian groans, but then he immediately says that the Christian hopes. Not just creation groans in hope, but we too are groaning in hope. It points back to what Paul is saying in verse 18, that, that, that these present sufferings, they are, they, they, are, they are temporary. That there is a transformation taking place, that we are being transformed and we are, we are being pointed to and, be, and we are being led to to the day that we will be fully glorified. And oh, how I need to hear that in my suffering. Oh, how I need to hear that when, I'm in, in, when I am just focusing on what is taking place, trying to do whatever I can do to, to help the situation, but realize I can't do anything. 
All I can do is hope. But praise God, we have a future hope in Jesus Christ. And Paul expounds on this hope and and what it means for the Christian. He describes the Christian here as those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. This is what we have now, that in Christ we have been redeemed, we are justified. But the Holy Spirit resides in us and we have the first fruits of what the Holy Spirit gives to us, which enables our hope. And it's interesting that Paul uses this, this word of first fruits. It's, it's, a, it's an agricultural term. And, and the first fruits of harvest, what we need to hear in this description is, is, is really what the first fruits, what, re, what it represents. It, it represents the first fruits of harvest that were, that were taken aside, that were given as an offering. But also, there's something even better in this, is that the first fruits that were laid aside were done so as an advertisement. Basically saying that you think this is good, wait till you see what's coming. You see, that's what we have in the Holy Spirit. We have the the presence of the kingdom in us. We are experiencing freedom. We are experiencing hope. We're experiencing newness of life. And we have the first fruits of this as Christians but it is just a taste of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits given to the believer. The Holy Spirit residing in the believer is the first fruits pointing us to what is yet to come. In Romans 5, 5, Paul says this a couple chapters back. He says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is why we have a hope that doesn't disappoint because whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever we are facing, God has poured himself into us. He has poured his love into us. And we have this hope. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit that bears witness to us that we are the children of God and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ and that glory is coming. As this is our hope, though, the reality is that we groan. We are groaning. There's an inward groaning but if you're like me, you have literally groaned. Life will make you cry. Life will make you weep. Life will make you groan. But as we saw in the groaning creation, we groan inwardly with hope of what is to come, and we eagerly await for adoptions as sons. And what this is, this is the redemption of our bodies. We talked last week about the, the adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. We have the sonship because of Jesus Christ. But what Paul is referring to here, he's referring to the fullness of our adoption. He's looking forward and promising us that we have the fullness of our glorified, resurrected bodies that is to come. That is what awaits us. There's a fullness of glory that is coming. And that is the redemption of our body. 
In Philippians 3, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is newness coming. I'm reminded of over the past season, the past year, it's been a very difficult one for our church family. Many of our brothers and sisters have gone on to be with the Lord. And in many of those cases, in situations, it was hard. There was groaning. There was groaning in death. There was groaning leading up to death. But I will say this, that there was hope. What I heard in some of the funeral services that we even held here was that the testimony of those who had gone on to be with the Lord, there was real story, there was real pain that was talked about in what was experienced, but at the same time, there was this hope. There was this joy because of the fact that Jesus Christ reigns and that they are with Christ. So yes, we groan, but we hope. In verse 24, it says we are saved in hope. Like It's talking about the fact that it's not just simply our redemption Okay, it is redemption. It's not just the past penalty of sin being paid, but the future glory of bodies fit for eternity. The perspective of Christian hope is is stated here in verse 24. And it's not merely wishing, it's not just expecting, but this is assurance of what Paul is speaking here. This is the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the assurance that we have in the midst of our suffering now. A future glory. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The truth is, as we focus on the glory of God in the midst of our suffering, not only am I I focused on the fact that I only have hope, but what takes place by the work of the Spirit and a miraculous work of the Spirit is that I begin to worship God. How odd is is it to the unbelieving world of someone who is experiencing so much hardship, so much pain, even to the point of death, that they are worshiping, that they are joyful, that they are hope-filled. It is a miracle. It's a work of God. And so therefore, concluding in verse 25, What this produces in us now and we should reflect upon is that it is this patience and perseverance as we wait and hope. 
experiencing suffering. But all for the glory of Christ and God. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God. Praise God. That is our hope. And so as we close, let me take us back to verse 18, where I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And my encouragement to you is as you reflect upon this passage, let it change and mold your perspective to something that is eternal. I'm praying that our vision is shaped and transformed not to something present, but that we look at something from the eternal perspective. That we begin to see life here as it really is. That we battle against worldliness and materialism so that we experience life in the long view. That we can step back and look that there is a glory that is coming Let it shape our vision. Let it shape how we plan. Let it shape how we look at life. Let it shape how we love one another. Let it shape how we serve one another. Let it shape how we look for those who are suffering and need the hope of Christ in their life. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory, you and I have the need for the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness, which has been laid up for us for nearly a hundred years. Evil enchantment of worldliness. I think one of the things that really plagues our church today, I say the church as a whole, evangelical church, is carnal Christianity. We don't look at Christianity and the walk of following Christ with the mind of the Spirit. We look at the now. We look at what we're trying to obtain. We look at success. We look at how we're going to navigate this thing and that thing. And all of our life comes consumed with the now and not with the mind of the Spirit of looking toward eternity and knowing that we are being worked into the image of what God has created us to be in Christ and that God will be glorified through us in the work that he's doing God is going to be glorified in our suffering because the story is not finished yet. Our resurrected bodies are going to be the glory of God on display. Let that shape our vision. And as we focus on the future glory, let it also increase our endurance. Let us follow Paul's example in verse 18 and consider the weight of the future glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. And let us consider this daily. Martin Lloyd-Jones would, would challenge his congregation with these words very, very frequent. He said, the great reality is the glory that is coming. 
hold on to this idea that we do not really belong to this present age, that our citizenship is in heaven. This present world is passing, transient, temporary. The world to come is the real, the permanent world. That is the one that has substance and which will endure forever. Let that be our focus. Let us consider our present sufferings with the weight of glory that is to come, eternal glory. May our vision be shaped so that we see that the eternal glory to come, it makes the temporary present suffering worth it because we know that the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's pray.